All right, let's bow together in prayer. Let's pray and let's seek the Lord together. Heavenly Father, thank you for just the opportunity of being here, uh, for your blessings upon our life, Lord. Thank you for this, another day we can gather together. Lord, these weeks seem to just go in so fast. And yet, oh God, here we are. We, we, we remember where we were just 12 months ago, and we, Lord, it just seems like uh, no time at all. And yet, oh God, we thank you that we've lived every moment of it, and you have been Lord of every uh, aspect of it as well. Oh God, we pray for your blessing upon us this morning that we might indeed be truly aware of God, the Holy Spirit working amongst us as we sing your praises, as we lift up our hearts in thanksgiving, and as we look to you for blessing. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a few carols today. It's about time we sang one or two. We're going to sing, first of all, stand and sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So it's of the song to me. I've never sang like that before, but nevertheless, 
Interesting, whenever you're singing Christmas carols, you are singing theology. We'll sing one next Sunday morning. And, and when the writer was saying, uh, very God of very God, he was lost for words as to describe this great being, this great person that came into this world uh, over two uh, millennia ago. But it's good to be able to sing these carols. It reminds us and it teaches us. I remember once one, so, someone saying about singing carols, Whenever you sing good carols, you're singing theology and you're reminding and teaching yourself about the theology of God. This is a real, real old one, but Chris Tomlin has made a new twist on it and we're going to sing it together. It's called Hymn of Joy.
Hands up those of you who sang that for the very first time. It's a real, real good remake of a great old carol that was written centuries ago. Chris Tomlin has made a great job of it. The next one is not altered in any way. Child in a manger. You can't alter that. Child in a manger, infant of Mary. Outcast and stranger. He came unto his own and his own received him not. The world still doesn't receive him. The world still has rejected him. And the more the world rejects him, the deeper into darkness they go. But thank God we are children of the light, aren't we? And his light dawns, has dawned on our souls, and we dwell in that great light. And I trust that you're dwelling in the light today, child in the manger, infant of Mary. ask the boys and girls please to come forward they're going to help you out with this next little song this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine so up you come and help me out because I would feel very very lonely if you don't come thank you very much good to see Joshua and Abigail with us this morning again and I know there's others and they're off sick and they've got this old flu whatever well I'm glad we didn't have our family service this morning because we would be missing all of those this morning and I trust that they'll be all better for next week you already you know this song this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine. So that's your light, all right? That's your life, your light, and uh, your life, uh, and, and it, it's a witness and a testimony and inspiration to all around you. And when you're living for God, they see the things that you say and they hear the things that you do. You see the things you do. Uh, and, and whenever you live for God and you put Christ first and you're living for him, then that's your light shining for the world. So in this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. School, at home, in the playground, at the workplace, and everywhere that you, uh, you mix, mix and mingle with other people, this little light of mine. Do you know this one? So how do you, let me see your light. Let me see your light. That's it. Let me see your light down here. That's it. Uh, but you're, you're all looking a bit dim down there. All right. 
Right. All right, this little light, I mean, I'm going to let it shine. All right, thank you very much. Sunday school. I think they've got all sorts of plans for you there. So, for those of you who are doing Sunday school, they can go on ahead. Thank you very much, boys and girls. Good to have you. Good to have you come up here and been very courageous to do so. Uh, and also, I think there is going to be a crest this morning. I know there's some people prepared to man the crest. And if you would like to ha- uh, bring your youngsters out to crest, that is fine. If you don't feel the need, then that's all right as well. But before we go any further, we're going to read 1 Peter 1. Verses 18 to 21, as we uh, think and uh, prepare ourselves for coming to the table to remember the Lord. I was listening to a singer called Sarah McCracken. Has anybody heard of Sarah McCracken? One or two people. And uh, she wrote a song about remembering the Lord and coming to the communion table. Uh, Go to YouTube and listen to it. It was very, very good. And it was that song that reminded me of this precious, precious opportunity we have to remember the Lord. It says in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20, 20, 21, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He was foreordained from before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, before you were created, before there was a flower or a tree or a plant or an animal. He was the one that had prepared himself. God knew in advance the state that this world would come into. And yet, he didn't refuse to make the world because he gave us a free will and has given, his son gave himself to be the ransom way back in the islands of eternity in the beginning that's never began. In other words, as the hymn writer said, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind, even though you had never been created. And it's precious because all before, all before that, 
And Peter's thinking back to the old Hebrew practices and the old Judaistic Judaistic practices of the sacrifices and that and and the giving of alms and the doing of of, of, of whatever. Um, All of that had failed. All of that had failed. And that's why he is so precious. Before we do that, uh, before we come to the table, let's uh, stand and sing together, Who is he in yonder stall? just in our hearts for a moment we uh, want to be praying for several folk I want to remember uh, Kathy and uh, Aaron as we Sophie is back in hospital since Tuesday and she's got a virus and she's got tonsillitis and she's got maybe other little problems so let's remember Kathy and Aaron as they've spent most of this week in hospital with, with Sophia remember others that have had a tough old week whether 
dealing with loneliness, an empty seat in their home, others dealing with frailty of the body, and perhaps let's remember those who've lost out with God and have lost their faith in him, or those who are wavering between two opinions. Father, we thank you that this time of year can be a, uh, can be a, a time of re- re-energizing, refocusing, uh, uh, re- re- reconnecting, re- rededicating ourselves to him as we think of the one, the miracle of the first Christmas, whenever Christ came into the world to save sinners. But also, Lord, it can be a time of sadness and great difficulty through the, uh, the, uh, the loneliness and the emptiness in the home through someone who was with them last year but is not here this year. We pray, Father, for your comfort, for your help, uh, for your grace, for your mercies, Lord, to visit each one, Lord, at the very point of their need. Remember Kathy and Aaron, Lord, and little Sophia. We lift them up in the arms of faith and love, and we pray that you would grant unto them that your peace and your presence, Lord. We thank you for their, stir, uh, their strong faith in the midst of all of this. And Father, we pray that you continue to support them and help them as we lift them up in the arms of faith and love. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling and battling with, with, with health issues. And Father, we pray that you will draw near to each one. And may they know that healing touch of God. And Lord, if not, then may they know the help of God as they deal with their problems, as they uh, go through the difficulties they face. For those who are facing challenges, the challenges of the direction of their life and decisions they need to make regarding their, 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 their work life. We pray, Father, that you will draw near to those as well. We pray for this church, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us in this past year. Thank you, Lord, for your presence amongst us. Thank you for one another. We thank you for each other. We thank you for the miracle of grace that we are and that you've saved us. And Lord, you've set us free and we know Christ as our Savior and Lord. You've entered into our lives, Lord, and you shed that light into our darkened souls. We thank you, Lord, that we know that peace that passes all understanding. We have absolute assurance that of the hope of the Christian that you're coming again and that we're going to be with you for all eternity. We thank you for your abiding presence with us every day. Lord, we thank you that we can agree with the hymn writer who said, he walks with me and he talks with me, and uh, and, uh, a long life's narrow way. And, oh God, we pray that you'll uh, again draw near to us, even this morning. Lord, as we lift up our hearts, Lord, we we, we are uh, in great need of you today, Lord. We're in great need of a visitation of God. We're in great need, Lord, of, to, be, to, to be refocused on the, the babe in, the, in, in uh, who it truly was in that manger. And, O oh God, we pray that you'll open up our minds and hearts. And we ask, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit will visit us today. Attend us, Lord, in mighty power. Lord, may we sense and hear the, the thunderings of the, that those early church heard on that first day of Pentecost. And may we, Lord, experience that warming glow of the tongues of fire coming upon us, we pray. Oh, God, we're hungry for God today. We don't want the ordinary. We don't want the usual. We don't want the mundane. Lord, we long for God, and we pray your blessing upon us this morning. And as we come to your word, Father, we pray that your word will live and be living in our hearts today, we pray. Speak with a voice that wakes the dead, oh, God, and make the people hear. Remember, Lord, all of our needs, and we think, Lord, of the, uh, of the great need of our land and our community. And while the world indulges in things concerning celebrating Christmas, may we be taken up with Christ of Christmas, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing that song, <clears throat> Across the Lands, before we come to God's word. Across the Lands, you're the word of God the Father. 
all these songs tie in with what we're thinking of today as we come to God's word for our service this morning. So let's stand and sing together. You're the word of God the Father from before the world began. Thank you so much. You may be seated. There was one other announcement that I'd forgotten to make, and that is just after this evening service, if the session could meet for a few minutes to a straighten, I mean, to talk about something. Uh, so if the session could meet after the evening service for a few minutes, uh, we, there is something we need to sort out. Uh, and so if you can do that, please, uh, just after the evening service, and it'll not take very long. We just need to run something past you.
Now, if you've got a Bible, then I want you to turn with me, and I always like to hear the rustling of pages, uh, but nevertheless, I can't hear the twisting of the phone page, so whatever, but if you've got a phone, that's all right, but if you've got a Bible, then please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, and Richard, we're going to read all the chapters, if that's all right, I hope you don't mind, I know there's a wee bit of a change, and, and I was only going to read the verse 8, but we're going to read all of this chapter together. Uh, this is a, a great book when it speaks about the superiority of Christ. It's, spoken for, it's, it's written for one reason, and that is that there were many who were converted. Jews were heading back to the old traditions of Judaism. And, and, and um, the writer, some people believe it was Paul. I tend to believe that, but not everybody believes that, and you don't have to believe it. It's still God's word. And so the writer is emphasizing and highlighting the superiority of Christ over everything that has gone before or anything that is surrounding them at that particular time. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 1. And the title of the message today is Jesus, God's Final Word to Man. Jesus, God's Final Word to Man. Hebrews chapter 1, reading verse 1. And here's what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become a much superior having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Amen. And we trust God will help us understand his word and uh, communicate to our spirits what it is he wants to say. One of my favorite secondary school teachers was a lady who's still alive today, and her name was, is Aileen North. Now, in our school, we went to a little, uh, it was a school with a Protestant ethos in Monaghan, and, and the teachers, they didn't only teach one subject, they taught many subjects. Aileen taught history. She taught geography. She taught English. She taught maths. She taught civics. 
or how to live as a civilian in a civil world. And she also taught RE, which is religious education. It depended upon the year in which you were in as determined the class that you were in. Well, the year that I was in was the second year, I think it was my final year at school. She was teaching history. And she brought us to how they used to communicate way back in the early days on the trenches in the wars. And she brought us to World War I. And she said how they used to communicate was just to pass the word along. And she used this little illustration of how the word can change so much between the, uh, the beginning of the trench till it got to the end. And I never forget this, she said. There was, uh, this is how it worked. They would say, send reinforcements were going to advance. Can you all say that after two? Because I see some of you say, you've heard this before, haven't you? After two, one, some of you teachers, you'll know this. After two, one, two, send reinforcements were going to advance. By the time it got to a, a, about a mile or two down the line, here's how it sounded. Send three and fourpence we're going to a dance. <laughs> there, was a, there was a preacher, and he was asked, do you have a ministry for the deaf in your, in your church? He says, no, we don't, he says, but I think we do because nobody hears what I have to say. This text, more than any text, declares who Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, was. It, 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 it brings us back to the very heart of the Father and the very declaration of that babe that lay in the manger. And John calls him the Word. But Hebrews, and if you look into the Hebrews and you look at it, has spoken to us in these last days, you can easily come at the conclusion that he's God's last word to man. He's the last word. Now, ticking up that little phrase, the last word, here's what the Oxford Dictionary says. What the, the last word means, the final and definitive pronouncement or decision on a subject. No more argument. No more opinions. No more suggestions. The final word. But some of you boys, when you looked at your wife going out the door this morning, as I looked at my wife and I said, you're the last word. It can also mean, and here's what Oxford Dictionary says about that, when you look at it, when you apply it to people or things or how you dress or how you look or how you drive or whatever, it means the finest or most modern, fashionable, advanced example of something. And they give us an example in the Oxford Dictionary. They say the spa is the last word in luxury and efficiency. Now let's roll that all into the Lord Jesus. He's the last word. He's the definitive word. He's the express word of God. God has nothing more to say to us than Jesus Christ. He's the perfect, he's the perfect example. He's the perfect declaration. He is the ultimate in everything that God is. And as they looked into that manger that morning, they were looking into the eyes of God. Now, God spoke in many ways in scriptures. He spoke to the prophets. They spoke the words of God. 
The sacrifices spoke of, uh, of, of uh, spoke to the people as well. That the law spoke to people. God spoke through dreams and visions, through birds and animals. God through, spoke through 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 a supernatural phenomena. But whenever we look into the eyes of Jesus, we're looking into the very word of God that we just sang about. The purpose, as I've already explained, for the writer to the Hebrew church, those who had been converted, is that Christ had lost the woe factor. factor. And now they're looking at the woe factor. I feel very much like that's what's going on in our world today. We've not so much got the woe factor as we are taken up with the woe factor. It's not that Christ has lost any of his character or nature. It's not that he has changed because over and over again it's said in the reading that he never changes. He says, I am the Lord and I change not. He says, heaven and earth will pass away but my word will never pass away. So whenever it comes to Christ, it's not that Christ has changed. It's that us, we have changed. We've entered into the woe factor. Now, the, the early church, the church, the, 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 the Christians that the, that the writer was writing to here, the Hebrew Christians, they, they had lost the, the wow factor. And they were wondering, have I taken the right step? Have I gone the right road? Have I, taken the, have I um, embraced the right opinions? Am I believing the, the, the truth? Or have I been somehow uh, uh, distracted and diverted from, from the, the glorious and the glamorous traditions of the Hebrew tradition. And so all the way through the book of the Hebrews, he's elevating Christ as superior over Aaron. He's superior over the sacrificial system. He's superior over the angels. By the way, when you read chapter 1 and you read it in the context, you begin to see that they're perhaps now worshipping angels. And he now readdresses them. Stop this fanciful hallucination of religion and let's get back to bare, bo bare bones. Let's get back to Christ. Let's get back to Christ. Now, there will be eight points in the sermon, the 7,000 words. I'm only giving you the bare bones so that you can embrace it and apply it to your own selves and to me. I need to see Christ afresh. I need to see Christ afresh. Need to see him every day. Need to have a fresh revelation of this supernatural being, the one who in the islands of eternity in the beginning has never began in full cooperation with God the Father and God the Son, said, I'll come and I'll die. I'll be the Savior. I'll give my life. We get the words from Jesus himself. He said, I, if I be lifted up on the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Brothers and sisters, in 2024, I've already stated it, knocking every door will be one of our mottos. But we cannot tell the world about Christ if we don't know him in his fullness ourselves. If we're still bogged down in the woe of life, if we're still bogged down in the troubles and trials and conflicts that beset us, 
if we're still un- unsure and uncertain as to the direction that we want to travel and the commitment that we want to have and the surrender, can I say, brothers and sisters and beloved, and I hope that you understand what I mean when I call you beloved, because we're all part of the beloved's family, that unless we're 100% wholly, completely, and totally surrendered and committed to him, we have nothing, nothing to give. Nothing to give. Notice the first thing then in verse 2. He's the appointed heir. He's the appointed heir. It says in verse 2, it's very clear and very plain, it says, he says, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son and he has appointed him heir of all things. That's a word addressing their doubts and fears. Now, you I'll, I'll cut to the chase here. Let's forget about the nonsense. Let's forget about multiplying in words. He is heir, which means way whenever all dictators and all atheists, evolutionists and humanists, whenever all the slanderers and all the critics have all disappeared, he's going to inherit it all. You wonder, where is my life? How's it going to end? I'm going to tell you where it's going to end. It's going to end up in his arms. We're the bride of Christ. And we are his inheritance. And everything was made by him and for him, says Paul. And we'll see that over and over again through this passage. My dear friend, he is heir of all things. We wonder about the politics of this world. We wonder about the politicians of this world. We see Rishi Sunak running over to Italy. We talk about the immigrant problem. We talk about the financial problem. And we're all holding our breath there when, they, when the Bank of England was about to raise the, the interest rates. And, and, they were, and, and some people thought they might lower them. And then they just kept them stagnant and stale or whatever. kept them on the level. And we're all wondering, where is it all ending? It's going to end up, he's coming to this world. He's ruler. He will inherit it all. Whenever the dictators and tyrants have had their way, he will have the last say. He will have the last stand. The last stand. Can I take it a wee bit more personal? When the bright lights are gone, when, when, when they have faded, when the music has faded, as the hymn and the songwriter said, when the sun of your life has been eclipsed, when this world passes away, he's still Lord. He will inherit all things. That's easy to get, isn't it? He's the heir of all things. So if you doubt or fear about the future, here's the second one. Not only is he, not only is he the appointed heir of all things, Verse 2, he is the executive creator of all things. I love this. Paul takes up this subject as well because he says, For by him all things were created both in heaven and on earth. Colossians 1.16, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus Christ brackets all of life. He was there at the beginning, he's saying, and he'll be there at the end. And he brackets your life and mine. Even though we go through some of the times and the issues, and we wonder, are we going through this thing alone? He was there at the beginning, and he'll be there at the end. He's the executive creator of all things. 
Amazing to think that that little baby that was feeding at the breast of Mary in the little manger in Bethlehem uh, uh, was, was the creator of the world. The shepherds, as they peered into these little eyes, weren't only looking into the eyes of a little baby. They were looking, in, looking into the eyes of eternity. Who is, he who is the immovable, irreplaceable source of life. What's the writer here saying to us? He's the source of life. He's the basis for all life. He was there when life began, and he'll be there when life has ended. Our life is wholly and solely dependent upon him. Not the flowery things of this world. I say this because it's a universal testimony of Scripture. Predicted in the Old Testament, stated in the Gospels, and declared by the Apostles. To whom else can we turn? You alone have the words of eternal life. But we can talk all about the theory. So why is he saying this? Many of us, and I include Esther and I, especially this past week has not been an easy week. When you stand looking into the open grave of a 41-year-old lovely young lad whose life had been ruined by choices and decisions he made, when you see your brother absolutely broken and about 67 or 70 cousins and, 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 and nieces all together there in the, in the, and you're looking in there and you, you, your, your life can be, can be dark and empty and, and, and life can, can, can do so many awful things on us. Some of us have been through a tough, week, tough year, haven't you? Some of you have been through a very tough year. I don't think that we have recovered as much as we think we have. We're still full of the scars. They're still raw. They still hurt. I buried a, a three-week-old baby. Remember the preacher, Ivan Thompson? I buried his two, two, two grandchildren. They were only about three months old. About seven weeks ago or eight weeks ago, I, married, I buried a, a little three-week-old baby. I had to be honest and say, when I was looking at that little baby, putting it in the ground, I was, what, I was putting my own son in the ground after over 40 years. We don't let go of stuff so easily. Sure we don't. There's a kind of like a sense of security. Now, you have to remember who he's writing to here. There's people and they're hurting. Life has crowded in around them and they're looking to angels. They're trying the, 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 hallucination, uh, the hallucinations for religion. They're, they're trying for everything. When they've lost focus on Christ. And my dear brothers and sisters and beloved, isn't it easy to let the woes of life crowd out Jesus in our lives? And we fail to see that he is the one who's able to bring life out of death, who's able to bring faith out of fear, who's able to bring order out of chaos, just like he did way back. Why do you think that he, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, he's declared as the one who spoke this world into existence? Why is it that Paul says over and over again, he, in him we live and move and have our being. The world was created by him and for him. It's because, dear beloved, he can bring life into your death. 
He can bring order into your chaos. He can bring light into your darkness. He can bring joy into your sadness. Otherwise, we're just looking at theory. He's the one that turns and replaces the mess for a masterpiece. I feel these are truths that we need to rediscover again. The babe in the manger was the creator of the universe. Look at the lives that he utterly transformed when he trod the lonely roads of Palestine. The lepers, the widows, the grieving, the prostitutes, the blind, the deaf, the destitute, the disabled, all had their lives altered by him. Here's the third thing. You'll find it still in verse 3. He's the express image of the Father. Jesus reflects God in the way he lived. He's the image of the invisible, says Paul in Colossians 1.15. And he's the, he's the image of the invisible God. He, is, he who has seen me, he said, has seen the Father, the firstborn from all creation. I said it last week, and I'm not going to multiply words. When Jesus was identified with the Son of God, he lived up to the image. We beheld his glory. You remember that message? The glory is of the only begotten. How he lived, how he acted, how he reacted. Muhammad... He lived an immoral life. Buddha left his family to starve. And the, the propagators of every cult have always got some immoral, some devious, some desperate, some despicable uh, uh, inheritance or, or prodigy that they leave behind. But he didn't succumb to human weakness or he overcame. He showed the way. He blazed the trail. Now, why is this important? I fear that sometimes the mess of our life interferes with the identity of our lives. My life is hid with Christ in God. And my mess has nothing to do with my identity. He's the express image. In fact, it says we are seated in him in high places. Have you a problem with your past? Have you a problem with your identity? What others think or say about you? Well, what odds? It's what, what, what the Father sees is as important. And he sees us in Christ. Let's bring this now to, to the writer here as he's addressing the Hebrews. Don't worry about your woes. Don't worry about what the world is saying about you. Your life is hid with the one who is the express image of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's what really matters. He's the express image of the Father, full of compassion, full of grace, full of patience, full of long-suffering, full of mercy, slow to anger, gracious, abounding in patience. Here's what it says in Psalm 145, verses 8 to 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. 
when it comes to our mess. He comes with all the Father's compassion. Folk, think of how we feel when our children are sick and unsuccessful or sad. We have a lump in our throat and a pain in our heart. That's how the Father feels about us. Full of compassion. He comes to our failures. He comes in mercy. And the first one to meet us is goodness and mercy. Remember two old boys used to follow uh, me and my friend Gary Totty around. Whenever we had been meeting, they'd be there with two wee baldy men. We nicknamed them goodness and mercy. The goodness of God brings us to repentance and the mercy of God forgives the repentant. But as I began to think of who it really is that our lives are hidden, he is El Shaddai. Or as we hear Davy Gordon often pray in the prayer meeting, he is El Adonai. And that caused me to wonder, what does El Adonai really mean? He is my great Lord. He is my master. El Adonai is my master. Then that got me on to a little bit of a hunt then to see what other words mean. He is Kadosh, Israel. He is the Holy One of Israel. But he is my Hakadosh. He is my holiness. He is my righteousness. He is all. He is all my righteousness. I stand complete in him and I worship him. When God looks at you, he sees Christ. Don't let your mess meddle with your identity. Here's the next thing that we want to see in this. He is the powerful sustainer. Verse 3. Still there. Verse 3. We can't get out of verse 3. Notice what it says in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let me put that into Trevor Galander's English. He holds the whole thing together. You see, someone said, you know, even if you had all the nuclear bombs, you couldn't blow up this world. God won't need nuclear bombs. All Christ has to do is just let go. That's all he has to do. Years ago, you may remember this, but years ago, there was a machine was constructed by scientists. And it was hoped that they would solve the mystery of our existence. And they called this machine an accelerator. Do any remember this? They called it an accelerator, and the scientists hoped to pry the lid off all the secrets of matter to discover what is in the miniature world of the atom, the neutron, and the protein. Now, you're with me, aren't you? You're still with me here. Some amazing things came out as they prayed into these things that men had never prayed into, and they found secrets that they didn't know had even existed. They discovered a complexity that they'd never dreamed of, and they found particles that they can't even invent names for. But one thing they did discover, there is a strange force that holds everything together. And they do not know what to call it, and what to, but they've put a name on it called cosmic glue that holds all the neutrons and protons and atoms together. We know they're wrong, don't we? He holds all things together. You see, whenever your world's falling apart, you know that, 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 that little old adage that we often say, the church that prays together, the family that prays together stays together. The church that prays together stays together. I want to tell you, it's Christ that holds us together. It's Christ that will hold your life through the darkest days of life. It's Christ that will hold you through the most difficult temptation days of life. 
As we stare into the woes of life, let's not let it eclipse the wow of life. He holds all. In fact, it says in another place, all, by him all things consist and have their being, Paul preached at, uh, in, at Athens. We might think that, oh, well, if I had a wee bit more joy, and if a wee bit more this, and a wee bit more that, and a wee bit more the other. My dear friend, he is the, is the attraction. He's the gravity pull, should I say. He holds us together. I've often said to a young couple when they're marched up the island, they're standing in front and they've taken their vows, and he's given away half his, t- I mean, she's given away, I mean, well, I said, you know, if you, if you, the closer you come to Christ, the closer you come to one another. And that's true. He holds all things together. I have several more. He's the most powerful sustainer. He is the effective redeemer, verse 3. We're still in verse 3. He's the effective redeemer. It says there, and making purification for our sins. Have you ever asked ourselves, what's wrong with humanity? Where is this world going? Or have you ever asked yourself, why did I think that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I go here? Why did I do that? Why did I react like that? Why was I so angry? I'm not angry, by the way. It's called sin. He told a little white lie. That's sin. It's as black as ever black could be. What's wrong with our world? Sin. What's wrong with your life? Sin. Why do you lose your temper? Sin. Why are you greedy? Sin. Why are you jealous of others? Sin. Why are you zealous for, for, for the, the things of this world? It's because of sin and selfishness. But after he had made dec- uh, purification, what countless sacrifices of animals could What Christ did in one moment, countless sacrifices of animals couldn't do for a lifetime. Now, you have to remember the context in which we're speaking. He's speaking to these Hebrews' lives, and they said they want to go back to the old sacrificial system, the old religious system. Are you religious today? Well, I'm not. I don't want to be religious. I want a relationship with the one who bore my sin in his own body on the tree. He bought me back from the dark past of sin and he's changed my heart and I've never been the same and I don't ever want to be the same. I've never recovered from the day I got saved. He did that all for me. So don't be, don't be religious. Be real. Be right. Follow hot on the heels of the Savior because he is the one that has bore your sins in his own body on the tree. Don't gamble with your soul as we mentioned last Sunday. The good news of Christmas is that every one of us that has found Christ not only has a Savior who forgives us but he keeps on cleansing us from all sin. He cleanses the uncleansable. He washes the unwashable. He changes the unchangeable. Very quickly, verse 3 and verse 13, he's the exalted monarch. He sat down at the right hand. Do you know there was no chair, no seat in the tabernacle or in the holy place or in the holy of holies? Because the priest's work was never done. 
But here we have him sitting at the right hand of the Father. The work is done. The work is done. It's completed. And Jesus is Lord. In fact, my dear friend, what is he doing right now? He's putting all the enemies, we read it in chapter 1, all the enemies of the cross and of holiness and righteousness under his feet. And if we bring that to the personal, whatever is going on in your life, and you might not be able to understand all that's going on in your life, but remember this, he is now applying the finished work to your life, and he's putting all your enemies onto your feet. He's the exalted monarch. You have to believe in the midst of it all. He's working out a perfect plan for you and I. Then my mind wandered when I thought about that. Oh, that we were addicted to Christ and addicted to his righteousness. That we would flee to him and fly to him at every moment of feeling faint or tempted. And that he would apply that perfect finished work for us. He's the exalted name, verse 4. Now, this I'm finished. It seems that they are addressing the fact that these early Christians were now worshipping angels. They were looking for something tangible, something sensual, something that whatever. Well, he says here in verse 4, he says this, having become so much more superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than this. And he goes on and gives us various illustrations and various examples of how God addressed him differently than he addresses angels. Angels are only created beings. Angels are not humans that have died and sprung wings. They are created beings. Now this is the eternal creator, Christ. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, he may be laying in a manger this year. And for some, he's still laying in a manger for years. But there's coming a day, my dear friend. Some have him still on the cross. But we know he's not on a cross. He's not in the tomb. He's in glory. And soon, and very soon, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Up until then, hold on. Hold on. Get your eye fixed on him. Allow him to do surgery in your heart. For this babe in the manger was none less than the son of righteousness. Let's bow together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we get a little glimpse again of the one who came 2,000 years ago, that we will be transfixed on him, that we will have again that wow factor returned into our hearts, that we not grow used to, familiar with the Christmas season,
But God in heaven, we pray that you will help him, help us to see him for who he really is. And in seeing him, we run to him. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Well, a good old-fashioned old gospel hymn. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Will you be there? Or will you have deserted the ranks? What do you think? Any deserters here? Stand up and tell us why you deserted. But if you're still... Sorry, I know I jest. But listen, there's many people who have deserted the ranks. Because they've lost the wow factor and they fell for the woe factor. Let's stand and sing together. Some of you wanted to slip into that old pause and take it and kill the poor old drummer trying to keep in the time. Now we just move her on because I tell you what, we're moving on to glory. Let's bow together in prayer. Let's pray and seek the Lord together. Father, thank you for the joy that we have in knowing that our Christ is the Redeemer of the world, the coming back King, the one who is the comeback King, as we've said before, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Father, thank you that we have read today that he comes back to inherit the bride, the lamb's wife. And Father, thank you that one day when all this mess is over,
when the troubles are all gone, whenever the darkest day has had their darkest day, when the demons have had their way, thank you that Jesus Christ will come again and we'll be caught up together with the, uh, with the, uh, in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. We thank you, Lord, for that hopeless hours. Sickness may beset us, trials may befall us, heartache may happen us, and dark days may, may inflict us. But glory to God, the brighter day and better day is on before. Father, bless us as we part from this church today. Bring us back again this evening, Lord, conscious of the Lord's hand. As we think about the miracles that are connected with his mercy. God grant tonight that we might indeed know true liberty. We might break into fertile ground. That God might fall on this church today. And oh God that we might behold the one. Who is the Lord of mercy, glory and grace and power. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said. Amen. And what did they shout? Hallelujah. And those rejoicing. Glory. Oh, that's alright.